Now I've come to believe that social media, in many ways, is a great equalizer. You know, even if you don't have the resources that a huge company has, you can absolutely, no matter what your business is, no matter what size it is, you can tap into the world of social to build and engage a customer base. It's really powerful stuff. Hello, my name is Lauren D'Souza, and you're listening to Retain, the Customer Retention Podcast. More and more companies are wanting to focus on retaining customers, but what exactly are the powers of customer retention? And how are companies using it to keep their customers coming back for more? That's what we're here to find out. All right. Our very special guest today is New York Times bestselling author, Dave Kirpin. As a serial entrepreneur, Dave spins many plates, one of which is being the co-founder and executive chairman of Apprentice, a platform connecting entrepreneurs with smart and motivated college students. Dave is also a renowned international keynote speaker on all things business and marketing. Simply put, when Dave talks, you should listen. Dave, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, you're too kind, Laura. <laughs> well, we're very happy to have you on the show because I was actually going to say I recently just finished your book, and it was fantastic because I'm learning how to be more likable as a result. Well, thank you. You know, funny story about that book of my five books, that is the best-reviewed book and the worst-selling book, which <laughs> proves the adage, you, in fact, judge a book by its cover. It's not my favorite cover. And unfortunately, it has not sold well, but people do love it when they actually read it. So thank you for reading. It. I was going to say, I definitely enjoyed it. I really resonate with all the examples that you give because it really helps put into showcase like all the lessons that you were teaching those 11 strategies. So I really enjoyed it. But I'm really excited about our conversation today because you have such a wealth of experience and knowledge and expertise to share with the people listening to the podcast and those around you. But before we jump into all of that, Let's learn a little bit more about you because you have so much on the go at all times. So let's learn about all the things that you're doing right now. And if you can give us a little background on that. Sure. Well, I, you know, you mentioned Apprentice. That's the company that I'm most focused on right now. I started it with my then 21-year-old assistant who was in college. It was his idea. He pitched me on it and we partnered. And now, you know, he's got a uh, multi-million dollar business at the age of 24, three years later. So it's a pretty cool story. And as you mentioned, we're a marketplace that connects small business owners and entrepreneurs with the best and brightest college students who work on various projects for them across marketing, sales, biz dev, operations, analytics, and, and, and data. I also, since we sold our, our first company, Likeable, I started an investment fund called Kirpin Ventures that invests in women and people of color-owned businesses. So we have now eight portfolio companies that we invested in that I meet with and mentor and coach and advise. And then I, uh, as you mentioned, I do some speaking and I'm working on my next book, which is uh, called Get Over Yourself and all about delegating to others to build the life and the freedom that that you want. So when I'm done with that book, which is hopefully going to be soon, and by the time people are listening to this, yes. eventually when it comes out, we'll do a lot more speaking and, 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 and traveling, which I enjoy a lot. And my most important job, Lauren, is as a father of three a beautiful kids, one of which I get to pick up from school every day, right, including uh, after we record this podcast today, and a husband to my wife and business partner, Karen. That's awesome. And so interesting, all the different things that you've worked on as well. But what got you into the whole world of entrepreneurship and business? 
Yeah, my wedding, which was pretty cool. When I got married back in 2006, my wife and I didn't have a ton of money, and but we wanted a very large wedding in New York City. And so, of course, it's very hard and very expensive to have a wedding in New York. So we had an idea to create a sponsored wedding promotion, and we pitched the Brooklyn Cyclones, which is a baseball team, a minor league affiliate of the Mets to host our wedding at the end of a game and, and sell the sponsorship inventory from the game to our wedding vendors. And it was amazing. 100flowers.com sponsored our flowers and Smirnoff sponsored our alcohol and David's Bridal sponsored our wedding dress and bridesmaids gowns. We ended up raising over $100,000, uh, $20,000 for check. It was an amazing event. We got so much press. It was such a great marketing success that after the wedding, a couple of our vendors came up to us and said, hey, what are you guys doing next? And well, uh, couldn't you get married against a marketing company instead? And uh, yeah, the rest is history. But I was a bit of an accidental entrepreneur in that way. I have never heard a story like that. So that's also why I like entrepreneurship, because everyone has a different path into it. But with being a successful serial entrepreneur, starting with your wedding, can you share some of the key lessons that you've learned from growing these companies? Yeah, I mean, luckily, I've learned lots and lots of lessons because I've made lots and lots of mistakes and uh, mistakes are a great way to learn lessons. And, you know, if anyone's listening and hasn't started a business yet and is afraid, I would say now is the time to get started because, you, you know, you learn lessons and then you get better and everyone makes lots of mistakes and everyone has lots of failures. But uh, it's through our mistakes and failures that we learn and grow and, and evolve and get better. And eventually we're successful. I mean, too many to name. I think one is my biggest mistakes and my biggest successes were all always around people. You know, there's an adage to hire slow, fire fast. I think that's cool, very true. And sometimes fire fast works too. But the thing that most people mess up on that I certainly messed up on early in my career was firing fast. I think we tend to want to justify our decisions. And so a psychological principle called cognitive dissonance keeps us from admitting to ourselves when we've made a mistake in hiring someone. And so we often, and certainly I did early on in my career, I hired people. It wasn't a fit, but I kept telling myself, oh, if I just do this, if I move them, if I coach them, if I give them more money. I mean, there's so many different things I would tell myself. But ultimately, you know, if I had in my gut that somebody wasn't a good fit, they weren't a good fit and eventually ended up firing them. You know, I look back and I could have made that decision six months or a year year and a half earlier. And so that was definitely an important lesson for me to learn along the way is when in my gut, something's not going to work out, it means it's probably just basically not going to work out. And so that's the time to make the decision. Yeah, I definitely agree. On the side of Gamble, I run my own business and we have definitely faced that before. <laughs> so you learn a lot in that moment because there's no other way to learn other than making the mistake and realizing that you have to go with your gut instinct. So I definitely resonate with that lesson that you shared there. And which is probably why you've been so successful with writing books about marketing and entrepreneurship, because it's all from these lessons that you've learned yourself. What made you choose to start writing about marketing entrepreneurship? And what do you enjoy about it? Yeah, I was very fortunate. I always wanted to write a book. And but I, like many people and many things, didn't know how to do it and didn't have the courage to figure it out on my own. And then um, early on in the career of our first company, Likeable. We were, I guess, one of the first companies to really tackle social media for marketing purposes. And and so Bry Hill, the publisher, uh, approached me to do the book. And I said, 
okay, sure. And first I said, I I don't know anything about social media. And they said, well, nobody knows anything. You're one of the first. So (laughs) you're going to be an expert as a thought leader or whatnot. So I I guess I took on that opportunity and uh, did the book. And then that book was so successful that they asked me to do another book. And that's when I did Likeable Business. And then I kept broadening the scope of what I was writing about. So uh, the last business book I did was called The Art of People. And it it applied not just to business, but really to all relationships and communication. So yeah, I feel funny. Even though I'm doing my sixth book now, I really identify more as an entrepreneur than an author. And the way I think about writing in books and and the why, you know, to, to get to the heart of what you asked me, Lauren, is books are a way to scale ideas. So the reality is, as entrepreneurs, very, very, very few of us are going to be able to scale to a level of a Zuckerberg or uh, a Gates or a Musk, you know, fill in the blank. Very, very few of us are going to build multi-billion dollar companies. It's just, right, that's just the math. So how else can entrepreneurs that want to impact the world do good things, do impactful things at scale? Well, for me, writing books has been a way that, you know, my ideas have been read by millions and millions of people. And that's pretty exciting. It's an incredible honor to know that have been able to impact people like that through my books, even if, you know, my companies haven't impacted people at that scale. That makes sense. I love that. That's a really great way to think about it, actually. And a great way to leave your legacy as well in terms of all these different books that you've written and the mark that you leave on people. Because obviously, I was lucky enough to get to chat with you today. But if I hadn't, I would still have been impacted by you by reading this book, which is a great follow on impact that you have as an entrepreneur and who you are. Yeah, thank you. And it's really an amazing, humbling, sort of insane experience because having done as many books as I've done and as many translations, almost every single day I get outreach from somebody somewhere that read one of the books and is is impacted. Like, I guess the third edition of Likeable Social Media, my first book is doing really well in Thailand right now. So I'm getting all these messages. And Art of People sells really well in the Netherlands, you know, now and and, and all over Europe. And yeah, it's really a remarkable journey. And even once in a blue moon, people comment on Likeable Business, the book that you were so kind to. (laughs) Hey, I'm one of them now. (laughs) That's awesome. And so out of the six books that you have right now, if you could recommend one of those books to our listeners, which one would it be and why? Well, you know, I would be uh, remiss if I didn't always promote my next book, but it's probably not available yet. But the book that I'm most excited about right now is uh, Get Over Yourself, Lead and Delegate Better for More Time, More Freedom, and More Success. And it gets into why so many of us struggle with delegation. We end up doing the work ourselves. We end up working 60, 80, 100 hours a week. And that, of course, doesn't scale in life. And uh, nobody on their deathbed says, I wish I had worked more. Everybody on their deathbed, you know, when asked about regrets, says, I wish I had spent more time with family, with friends, uh, pursuing, you know, certain uh, purpose-driven passions. And so I'm really on a mission with this book to help people delegate better to others so that they can create the freedom. Entrepreneurs, but even, you know, managers at all companies, you know, so they can create more freedom in their lives to do what they love. Now, if Get Over Yourself isn't yet available uh, for pre-order, which it probably isn't, take a look at Likeable Social Media if you want to learn about social media marketing or Likeable Business or Art of People if you want to look at people skills. 
That's awesome. I'm going to put a plus one on the likable business because I really enjoyed it. I was just reading the story example that you provided about the hotel that you were at where you were celebrating your daughter's birthday and she really likes Harry Potter. And you were hoping for that cookie platter to be there and it wasn't there. And then they went above and beyond. And I was thinking that's a really good idea because it doesn't always have to be about money or things like that. It's just the gestures that really surprise and delight. But I actually think about these examples consistently because with game ball we're really focused on retention and the customer experience because it's so important and pretty much your entire book talks about the fact that delighting your customers and making sure that they feel taken care of but the idea there is that this all does come down to retention on the customer side obviously the staff is a bit different but when you look at retention how do you recommend that a company can use social media as part of their retention strategy yeah great question and First and foremost, I am so bullish on the importance of customer retention. Yes, I sort of come from a marketing background, but it shocks me how much more uh, time and energy and money is often spent on uh, marketing and customer acquisition, where we certainly both know that it's uh, much more cost-effective to keep a customer than to attract a new customer. And so companies need to be more obsessed with customer retention than they are today. It's just the finances alone suggest that it's it's just way more expensive to uh, replace a customer uh, than to keep an existing customer. So, so that being said, I think social can be used to build brand and build relationships and extend that customer loyalty. Well, that I used in my first book, uh, the beginning of Life of Social Media, talks about an experience I had with a hotel in Las Vegas where I was on a very long line at a very fancy hotel, and I and I tweeted that you know it was very frustrating and a competitive hotel down the street just demonstrated that they were listening they just said i'm sorry to hear that it sounds like you've had a tough experience they didn't try to sell me they didn't try to market to me they just demonstrated that they listened and that ability to listen won me as a customer and i've been a customer of theirs ever since uh, the the rio hotel in las vegas has earned tens of thousands of dollars of my business just by listening. So I think the biggest thing brands can do on social media with their customers and their prospective customers is to listen um, and demonstrate that they're listening and paying attention. And then, of course, there's engagement. And engagement is hard. Depending on your brand, engagement is hard to engage with every single customer. Of course, if you have a small business, then it's quite easy to engage with every customer on social media. But if you have a very large business, it's harder. But then I would say, and this may be a little controversial, but I would say that not all social media profiles are created equal. And we have this ever-present concept now of influencers. And the reality is, if you're a big brand, if you're a big company, and you have a choice between surprising and delighting a customer with 50 followers on Instagram or surprising and delighting a customer with 50,000 followers, like there's a greater impact, right, on the one with more followers. So to the extent that bigger brands can think through, I have a customer retention strategy that is helping to manage their relationships with customers who happen to have more influence online. That's a reality that that would be, in my opinion, advisable. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And I think the listening thing can happen whether you're a big company, small company, doesn't matter. But obviously, you can decide how you divide and conquer if you're a bigger company and just like the example that you mentioned. But are there any other companies or brands, maybe a bit smaller, potentially, if it comes to the top of your mind, but any examples of other companies that you admire the way that they use social media as part of their retention strategy? Sure. I will give you a big one and then I will think of 
small one quickly. <laughs> JetBlue is a big one that I like at a time where dealing with all airlines can be very painful and dealing with long phone calls and you know long queues, customer service. They have a very, very prompt social customer service desk, if you will. And uh, whenever I have issues, I can uh, tweet and get a response back quickly and move towards resolution of an issue. So for me as a customer, they've done a really nice job of retaining me and managing the relationship with me using a social and online. So one example of a smaller business that I really like her strategy is um, Dr. Chloe Carmichael. She is a therapist very high-end, expensive therapist, but also an author of a book about anxiety and a speaker. And she uses her social media to connect with both her clients as well as uh, other followers and, and share really valuable insights. If you're spending money on therapists, it's one thing when you're in session, but it's another thing. You can follow that person and gain lots more insights about yourself, insights about challenges you might have with anxiety just by following the person. And so I've written about why it's so important to share valuable content, and give that away. And Dr. Chloe does a very nice job of giving away content, providing a lot of value for her clients online so that uh, they can build stronger relationships with her. I really like that. You just gave me an example of an airline and a therapy clinic or a therapist, for example. And what I really like is that there's social media integrated into the retention strategy, no matter what kind of business it is, which I think is inspiring for everybody listening because everybody has different businesses. They're all trying to figure out the retention strategy. They're all trying to figure out something, but it's not that it's just for the bigger brands where they can use social media. Everybody can use it. It's just being creative about the way that you go about it, which is why those examples were great. Totally. You know, it's funny to go back deep further in my career to pre the wedding and pre my career into entrepreneurship, I was a teacher and I, and I used to, I became a teacher because I believed that education was the great equalizer, that education could sort of even the playing field for people. Now I've come to believe that social media in, in many ways is a great equalizer. So, you know, even if you don't have the resources that a huge company has, you can absolutely, no matter what your business is, no matter what size it is, you can tap into the world of social to build and engage a customer base. It's really powerful stuff. Yeah. Especially if you take the approach by listening first, I think you can do so much with that. It's a very simple and easy, effective thing to do no matter who you are on social media, which is great. And I was just going to say to kind of close out our thoughts on retention and marketing and talking about this depth of a topic, what's a commonly held belief in marketing that you absolutely passionately disagree with? I think sticking with this theme of social, there's a, a line of thinking that says that you have to be everywhere. So if you have a brand that's focused on teenagers, you don't have to be on LinkedIn. And if you have a brand that's focused on older men and women, you know, 50 plus, you don't have to be on Snapchat. So the extent to which it's important to be on platforms is really more about your audience than about this like incessant need to keep up with whatever the latest platform of choice is. Yeah. And I think a lot of content out there, even being a business owner myself, is that if you're not in a place, you're missing out. So they create the sense of FOMO because obviously every platform is trying to get every business and person and whoever on the platform. So rather than no one says, go pick and choose which ones will be best for your business. They're saying you're missing out on a whole target market or a whole audience if you don't target these people 
on this platform specifically. So I think that's a very nice reminder. It's very comforting as well. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's just, it's overwhelming, especially the smaller business owners and startup entrepreneurs. They think, how can I possibly manage to be on five, six, seven platforms? And, and the good news is you don't, you really don't. You have to think very, very carefully about where your demographic is, where your audience is, and then that's where, you know, it makes sense to spend your time and energy and money. Yeah, definitely agree. And I really think that's a great point to kind of tie up our whole retention and social chat, which brings us to the ending part of our conversation, which is what we call the lightning round. So I have three questions and then a closing question, and we'll wrap it all together so that our lovely listeners can get all these insights. Okay, so lightning round question number one. If you could go back in time to another century, where would you go and what would you like to try and market to them? Yeah, so this is a bit of a dark answer. So apologies <laughs> in advance. But I would I would go back to early United States time and I would try to use my marketing and knowledge and my uh, ability to galvanize masses and like ensure that slavery didn't either didn't exist or was abolished much earlier. It's such a darn blemish on our history and society. And it would be pretty amazing if we could like reduce or eliminate it. I like that one. I don't think it's dark. I think that's great. <laughs> okay. Lightning round question number two, how could skills from marketing be transferred into everyday life? Yeah. We talked about it already. Listening is so important. It's often overlooked part of marketing, but it's so important part of marketing and so important part of life. Probably the most underutilized, underrated skill on the planet and the better listeners, uh, we be, can become uh, the more successful in life uh, we can be, the more successful, the more happy in relationships we can be. So I am all for uh, better, improved uh, listening skills. All right. Well, I'm going to listen to that and take note of it. <laughs> so I like that one. Last one is a fun one, which is, okay, you're suddenly in charge of the marketing for a superhero of your choosing. Who do you pick and why? Superhero, superhero. You know, maybe this is super obvious, but I'm going to go with Superman um, <laughs> because it feels really easy. It feels like a cakewalk. And uh, why take on a challenge if I can have an easy opportunity? And, you know, the word super is built in. You know, marketing like a Spider-Man seems like really hard if I think about it. Spiders you who think like so? spiders, but <laughs> Superman built in super. So that's who I'm going with. My answer is always Wonder Woman because she's my favorite. She's just the best. Wonder Woman was my second choice. Ah, I like it. <laughs> Maybe we can collaborate. Wonder Woman and Superman. <laughs> it's a good combo. And last but not least, the one that really sets the tone for the whole episode is, is there a piece of marketing or life advice that someone shared with you once that has always stayed with you? Oh, man, there's so much great advice that I've been given over the years and as much as I love marketing, life is way more important than marketing. So I'm going to just put marketing to the side for a moment and talk about life. And I think one lesson that I've learned a couple of times and keep practicing, and it's been a life-changing thing. The lesson is talk to everyone. And sometimes we're shy and sometimes we're low energy and sometimes we're feeling introverted, no matter how extroverted we are. And I'm super extroverted. But I'm sure there's a lot of introverted people listening that are thinking, oh, it's like a pain in the butt to talk to everyone. And I don't know why and I don't want to. But 
The thing is, it can absolutely change your life. It actually happened for me recently. The grandmother of one of the kids at my son's bus stop, it turns out, is this massively successful entrepreneur, sold her business, became an author and speaker and has a foundation now. And she's literally like the grandma of the kid at the bus stop. But that's not even the story I was going to tell. The story I was going to tell oh, I'm excited. was, you know, sort of the, one of the first times that I had this really, really powerful lesson and experience. I was boarding a plane from New York to Boston and I got on the plane and you know, the plane's taking off. They say, put your phones away. So I did. And then I look to my right and I see this very well-dressed older gentleman reading this big print and I read my dear friend, the late Ted Kennedy. And uh, I think, oh, my goodness, so this is uh, somebody important. And then I keep reading. And I said, when I authored the GI Bill, so now I know it's a congressperson. But I still don't know who it is. But I, I had the courage to just start a conversation, right? That's the lesson here is always start a conversation, talk to people because you never know. So I introduced myself. And um, it turned out the guy next to me was a guy by the name of Frank Lautenberg amazing guy, had served in Congress as a senator in New Jersey for 25 years, wrote the no smoking on airlines bill, wrote the age of 21 consent to drink bill, which you either love or hate, depending on your age. But <laughs> he was a 25-year senator. He was actually a business person, an entrepreneur himself, and started a company called ADP, a payroll company, and now has 40,000 employees. An amazing, amazing career in business, took the company public, uh, just an incredible career in business and government. And we had this amazing 45-minute conversation. And at the end of the conversation, he said, you know, I want to show you a picture of my greatest legacy. And I wasn't sure if he was going to show me a picture of him with one of the presidents or a bill he signed into Congress, maybe a picture of him at a stock exchange when he took the company public. Um, no, he showed me a picture of him with his uh, four kids and his seven, seven grandchildren. He said, by far, this is my most important legacy. And nothing in my career will compare. And he said, my tombstone won't have anything about my career as a senator or my career as an entrepreneur, but it will have all of their names. And it was so powerful for me. I ended up, you know, we had two children at the time. Um, I ended up deciding with my wife to have a third child. And we named him Seth Franklin. Frank Lautenberg became a mentor of mine. We met several times. I helped him with social media on his government accounts, which was unbelievable. And then the postscript to the story, uh, sort of sad, but he did live an incredible life. He passed away a few years ago, um, and I was able to attend his funeral. And Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden both uh, spoke at his funeral. They were, you know, It was like a who's who of people. Those four children and those seven grandchildren also spoke at his funeral, and they proved to me that he really was just somebody that practiced what he preached and left an incredible legacy, not only in the world, but on his family and knew the importance of prioritizing his family. So for me, the first lesson, of course, I learned that I shared in the beginning was to talk to everyone because you never know what, what that conversation will lead to. But I guess now that I think about it, the second lesson really is just to think uh, long and hard about your priorities. And that gets back to what I talked about too earlier about delegation, right? We all have limited time on this planet. So yes, marketing is valuable. Social media is valuable. Business is valuable. What's most valuable is thinking through our priorities, our, our family, our friends, the people that we are connected with. And that's it's a nice reminder for me here and now before I go pick up my son at the bus to prioritize uh, him and my children uh, first. That was a very long story, but you invited it. I love that. I love that so much. This is why I love the podcast, because you get to hear amazing stories like that. 
Yeah, no, it was really, really, really moving. And I'm grateful to you for giving me an opportunity to remember and re-articulate the story because every time I think about it, right, it's just such a nice yeah. reminder. No, thank you so much for sharing that with me. Playing and talking to people at my kid's bus stop and um, and just and prioritizing what's most important to us because it's like so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day and especially for ambitious people. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners are super ambitious. It's easy to get caught up on like the chase, but like what's most important to us, really, that's something to think about. No, that's beautiful. Such a great end to the podcast as well. So thank you so much for your time, your insights, your incredible stories. I know the listeners listening to this podcast will just be blown away with this episode, just like I was. So thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you again so much for having me. Retain the Customer Retention Podcast is brought to you by Gameball. To find out how you can turn visitors and occasional buyers into loyal, lifetime customers, head to Gameball.co. Make sure to subscribe to Retain the Customer Retention Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you never miss an episode. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time.